Welcome once again to Proclaiming the One, Majoring in the Minors. I am Pastor Clint Poppy. Along with me is Pastor Adam Oline and Vicar Timothy Steele II. We are privileged to serve the saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Each week on Proclaiming the One, we take a look at the upcoming readings, the pericopes in the one-year series of Lutheran Service Book. We proclaim the one and only Savior from sin, Jesus, as they come to us through God's Word in the one-year series. Majoring in the Minors is an offshoot of that program. We take a look at the minor festivals, the feast days, occasions in the church, opportunities to be in God's Word and worship with uh, some of the readings that we don't often or always hear in uh, our church services. We have a lot of Wednesday night church services here at Good Shepherd, Wednesday evening services year-round, so we have an opportunity to observe many of these minor festivals. And today, we're going to be looking at one that we always observe It is the uh, minor festival designated for February 2nd in the church. And, Vicar, I hate to shatter your your hopes and dreams, but it is not Groundhog's Day. It is not not a tribute to Puxatawney Phil or Unadilla Bill. Or Bill Murphy. Uh, Bill Bill Murray. Bill Murray. Bill Murray. Sorry, Bill. Get the comedian right. But... um, It is the purification of Mary and the presentation of our Lord. This is a biggie, folks. It may not sound like a biggie, but when the the Lutherans were uh, cleaning up the liturgical calendar and they were getting rid of uh, many, many of the feast days that had very, very little basis in Scripture, this is one that they kept. The purification of Mary and the presentation of our Lord, Pastor. Did you get a chance to uh, observe this when uh, when you were pastoring in North Dakota, or uh, is this something that uh, you've really had an opportunity only since you've come back to Lincoln? Uh, it's it's something that I've only observed since, since I came back to Lincoln in uh, North Dakota. We always uh, watched the movie Groundhog Day and uh, <laughs> uh, enjoyed a little Phil Connors, and uh, that, that was instead of the sermon. That's right. right. That's okay. right. Uh, from the uh, manual on the liturgy, Lutheran Book of Worship, it says the presentation of Jesus in the temple by his parents is, in its origins, a festival of the Lord, although it is also the occasion of the purification of the Virgin Mary in accordance with the law. And uh, it goes on to say that it was observed in Jerusalem at the end of the 4th century. So we are talking late 300s. This is an oldie and a goodie. was introduced into Constantinople by Justinian in 542. And then this is something that I thought was really interesting. Traditionally, this was often called Candlemas, Candlemas, the day when the candles for the year were blessed, a light to lighten the Gentiles, Simeon sings of Christ in the gospel. The Old Testament reading also speaks of this light. It is the time for a candlelight service, and since the gospel tells of Simeon and Anna, the day, this day is a logical time to show concern for the aged. Um, 
That's uh, Manual on Liturgy, Lutheran Book of Worship, page 39. Did you know any of that, Pastor? I, I knew that it was called uh, Candle Mass. Um, uh, beyond that, uh, no, a lot of that I didn't. I think it's worth pointing out, though, since you read it, that uh, Justinian is a very important figure, um, both historically and then also in the Christian church. He's the one who builds the Hagia Sophia, the uh, biggest, most important church in Christendom for well over a thousand years uh, that still exists now as a mosque in the city of uh, uh, Istanbul. Um, and uh, he also is one who worked hard uh, through his uh, general Belisarius to reconnect both the eastern and western halves of the Roman Empire. Um, and uh, it was the final great extent of the uh, Byzantine Empire. After that, it began to shrink and shrink slowly over the years. Okay, so a major, major figure. Um, Pastor, uh, let's, uh, let's dig into the guy, unless you've got some more on the, uh, on the basis here. Uh, Vicar is just chomping at the bit. He wants to say something. So, okay, everybody listen. Vicar Steele wants to talk. For all you folks out there that still have your Christmas trees up, that's okay. In some regions of the church and in parts of Europe, keeping your Christmas tree up till candle mass is acceptable because you have, you know, candles, the light of the world. So don't feel guilty. You're still good. <laughs> Vicar, of all the things that you've said, uh, pretty much through like five or six months of vicarage, that may have been the most informative. So... <laughs> Uh, and I'm not joking there either. Uh, no, the uh, uh, vicar's doing great. I'm just kidding. Uh, don't need it. Don't need any hate mail or hate emails on that, uh, especially from your wife. I've gotten enough from her. Uh, the <laughs> we're, we're degenerating quickly here. Yes, we did. All right. Purification of Mary and the presentation of our Lord. The gospel reading appointed for this day, observed on February second in the church. Luke. 2, 22 to 32. Luke 2, 22 to 32. Vicar, take it away. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, Mary and Joseph brought Jesus up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord a pair of turtle doves, or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Okay, the, uh, the optional reading continues there in Luke chapter 2. It goes on uh, verses 33 through 40. We're just going to be examining in uh, this particular program these words that Vicar just read. Luke 2, 22 to 32, the appointed gospel reading for the purification of Mary and the presentation of our Lord. So, Pastor, uh, when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, 
What is this law of Moses with regard to purification? Um, first of all, I mean, I I really thought that Jesus was uh, pure all in and of himself, that, uh, you know, he's the sinless son of God. So what is this purification and what is this law? Well, uh, it's not really the purification taking place for Jesus, but rather it's a purification for Mary. And this has to go back to Leviticus chapter 12, where uh, we have the rules from God about the purification that must take place after childbirth. <clears throat> and as I know you know, Pastor Poppy, from when your children are born, and any uh, anybody who's witnessed childbirth, it is kind of a messy thing. There's uh, blood and, and goo and juice and uh, all sorts of fun things that come out along with the baby in the birthing process, uh, maybe be the way to say it, and uh, this makes a woman ceremonially unclean. Additionally, there is blood that continues to come out for a, a period of time from the birthing process It continues that. Uh, and so this is uh, 40 days uh, after the birth or 33 days after the circumcision. Um, the woman is going in, presumably done with that uh, uh, messiness, uh, so that she can be purified and returned to the normal procedure of things within the society of the time. Okay, so what are, can you give me an example of something that a woman uh, shortly after childbirth and uh, you know, going through the healing process and, and still still having an issue of blood and all the things that you described there. Can you give me an example of something that the the woman in the society at that time would not be able to participate in? Well, I mean, so for example, Leviticus 12, verse 4 uh, says, She shall not touch anything holy, nor come into the sanctuary until the days of her purifying are complete. Um, and, and so... That, in a sense, is kind of a, you you don't get to come to church, you don't get to go to uh, synagogue or to worship, uh, participating in those things, which is a big deal, uh, especially, you know, um, you have your Sabbath day where you go and partake in God's Word and participate in those things, uh, and it gives uh, the woman a time to heal before that return. And when the time came, how much time are we talking here, Pastor? Well, again, uh, this is... 40 days after Christmas, and that's the uh, appointed time. Um, and it says, she shall continue for 33 days in the blood of her purifying. Um, and um, even if that, if she's still uh, unclean, if she's still bleeding, then it continues up to 66 days, uh, according to Leviticus, verses 1 through 4. Again, that kind of gives you a time frame. But we see with Mary here, this takes place uh, towards the beginning of that period. Okay, so after 40 days then... Um Mary and Joseph are following the law. They are following the law prescribed in uh, the Old Testament book, and pastor's been reading out of Leviticus. What, what is significant with regard to the fact that Mary and Joseph continue to follow the law? I thought they knew that Jesus was the Savior, the Messiah. The forgiveness of sins is going to come from him. They named him Jesus. Uh, why are they still following the law? Well, um, Jesus comes not to abolish the law, as he himself says, but rather to fulfill it. And so it's being fulfilled on his behalf in that regard, uh, in that his family is following the rules according to his own birth, so that it might not be counted against Jesus in that sense, so that he can be the perfect sin substitute for us, uh, taking our guilt and shame upon himself and giving us his holiness instead. 
Um, I, th- I think we have a lot of people in our world today that are really confused with regard to, you know, does a Christian still need to keep the law? Or now that Jesus has come and lived and died and risen from the dead, am I free to do whatever I want to do? Uh, how does the ceremonial law that we're talking about here, how does that fit in here? I think, and, and maybe you've seen this in your, in your um, 10 plus years of being a pastor, Pastor Moline, but uh, people tend to be very, very confused on this topic of how does the law fit into the life of a Christian. And we're about out of our time here on this segment, so I want you to uh, ponder that question because we've got another thing, another law, another prescription with regard to the presentation of the Lord. And it is different from the purification of Mary. And so how do these two fit together? How are they different? And what does this mean in the life of a Christian? Proclaiming the one, majoring in the minors. We're looking at the purification of Mary and the presentation of our Lord, February 2nd on the church calendar. Don't change that dial. We'll be right back. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to Proclaiming the One, Majoring in the Minors. Today we are looking at the purification of Mary and the presentation of our Lord. Day that is designated in our church calendar for this observance is February 2nd. February 2nd. In our uh, first segment, we took a look at the introduction, some of the history around this uh, particular celebration in the church. It's a long, old one. It's been around forever in the church, dating all the way back to the 4th century, and uh, that's pretty cool. Our gospel reading, Luke 2, 22 to 32, we introduced that in our uh, first segment, and and I left Pastor uh, with... Uh, talking about uh, the importance of the law, not only in the life of Mary and Joseph, but Jesus. And we've got two things going on here. We talk quite a bit about the purification of Mary and the uh, Old Testament ceremonial law with regard to the holiness and the cleanliness laws after a woman gives birth. And so we got that going on, and this happens 40 days after Christmas. Uh, the prescription is somewhere between the first and second month when the bleeding stops, the, the woman should come in uh, for this uh, particular ceremony. But then we have this um, uh, blah, 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 blah. Uh, brought Jesus up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice as to what is said in the law of the Lord. Now we can talk about that sacrifice in a little bit here, but uh, what is this presentation of the Lord and uh, where is this in the Bible, Pastor? Yeah, uh, this is, uh, again, an important thing in the scriptures, uh, and it's a, a... a foreshadowing of Jesus uh, from back in the time of the Pentateuch. Uh, And so uh, you see this uh, is 
Exodus uh, 13 talks about this, and it is all the way back in the Old Testament in the Pentateuch, God is teaching us to look forward to Jesus. And uh, Jesus, of course, is the firstborn of the uh, of the Lord, the Lord God, and he is the Savior at the same time. And so uh, all the way back in Exodus chapter 13, the Lord said to Moses, Consecrate to me all the firstborn, whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both man and of beast, is mine. And this, of course, all the way back in the the time of Moses is a foreshadowing of Jesus being the firstborn of the Lord, who also belongs to the Lord and is the one who will earn salvation for his people. Uh, And so that's the law that this is fulfilling. Now, you kind of talked about ceremonial law versus other types of law. Both of these, in one sense, are ceremonial in the sense that they are setting the people of Israel apart from the average person so that it can be seen what exactly they're waiting for. Uh, In this case, they're waiting for Jesus' fulfillment of this law from Moses in Exodus 13. Okay, So so I'm not sure I've answered your question because I was trying to— Well, you you did, but you made a big assumption, and so I'm I'm going to uh, press you on this so that this is absolutely clear for our hearers. When you're talking about Exodus 13 and you're talking about the firstborn— how is this connected to the 10th plague with regard to the death of the firstborn and how the the firstborn in Israel is spared and the firstborn that doesn't have the blood over the doorpost is not spared how is this all connected into one thing and that how does that teach us about the person and work of the messiah jesus the you you, you follow where i'm going here i don't I don't know that everybody has connected those dots. Yeah. So the the final plague in Egypt is the death of the firstborn of everything that is in Egypt. Again, this is finding its fulfillment in the person of Jesus, who is the firstborn that dies so that everyone else might live. And even in that plague, uh, the idea is is that you should take a, uh, a firstborn uh, lamb and slaughter it and pour its blood out upon your uh, doorposts and lintels. Uh, and when the Lord sees the blood of that lamb, the perfect lamb, the firstborn lamb, it will pass over and not kill those firstborns inside. The firstborn lamb takes its place. And those who don't have the blood marking their door, all their firstborn must die uh, instead. And so, in a sense, we see all this fulfilling Jesus, who's the firstborn of God, who dies and whose blood covers us so that we might not uh, die in the plague of sin and death that infests this world. I think we could also, you mentioned Justinian before, uh, this mass, candle mass, the this presentation of our Lord and the purification of Mary feast, comes about as significant at the time of the plague of Justinian in 541, when one-fifth of all the people in the city of Byzantium die from the plague, and it goes on to spread throughout Europe, and, uh, uh, you know, huge huge number, up to a quarter of the population of Europe dies as a result of this plague. And so what do they do? They institute a special church service for repentance and blessing of candles. Uh, at the same time, Mary's purified from 
her blood uh, so that the people might also be purified from their sin uh, and and thus the Lord not be angry at them and not kill them in the plague. And, and I think all this ought to be brought together in our modern society, right, where we are facing uh, pestilence. Uh, I, I don't know if it's plague uh, level, but we're facing a pestilence with COVID-19, and instead of going to more church and repenting of our sins, we've closed down the churches and and stayed home, and, and I think that we ought to maybe see uh, how the blood of Christ is actually the only thing that can cover our sin and grant us eternal life in the face of this pestilence. And so maybe now I've said too much and gone a direction we shouldn't have gone, but... No, I, I you, you answered very well the question that I was fishing for, so if I connect... Uh, a couple of dots in my own mind then, this ceremony with regard to the presentation of the firstborn is to remind us that the firstborn in Israel were spared and that the firstborn belonged to the Lord because they were spared. And that that is yes. an ongoing thing. Am I am I getting that correct, Pastor? That would be correct. And and what's the thing that spares them? I think is important to point out as well. The blood of the lamb, uh, or in other words, the blood of Jesus, ultimately being its fulfillment. And I think it's interesting that these two um, ceremonial laws are put together because they both have to do with blood. They both have to do with blood. The, uh, the uncleanness of the blood and the salvific power of the blood because, as God word repeat, God's word repeatedly says, the life is in the blood. The life is in the blood. And Hebrew or uh, Leviticus 9, uh, he- Hebrews 9, uh, it's quoting from Leviticus, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And that's where we have to always, always bring this to. In- or, or even again in uh, uh, the Pentateuch, when Moses pours the blood upon the people to set them apart as, as special and holy. Amen. Let uh, let you, let the blood be on uh, us. Let his blood be on us and our people. They meant it for a curse, but it was a blessing. Uh, it goes on and on in Scripture. Pastor, in verse twenty-four of Luke two, uh, Mary and Joseph uh, to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord: a pair of tur- turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now. That doesn't seem like much of a sacrifice, and much is made in the church with regard to the particular sacrifice that Mary and Joseph offer here. Uh, What can you tell us about that? Well, yeah, to go back to uh, actually Leviticus 12 again, um, in case you haven't jumped around in your Bible enough, uh, the the gift that should be given uh, is actually, uh, and I'm going to make sure I read it correctly, it says here uh, it should be a lamb, and if she cannot afford a lamb, then she shall take two turtle doves or two pigeons. And so when Luke says that they gave the turtle doves or the pigeons, he is telling us the economic status, if, if you're going to use modern language here, of Mary and Joseph, that they are extremely poor in the sense that they cannot afford a lamb, which is 
has a certain sense of irony in it because the one that they're bringing to the temple actually is the lamb uh, whose blood will be sacrificed to forgive sins. And so uh, there's a certain sense of irony. They can't afford to actually buy a lamb, but God has provided one for them to use the words uh, of, of Abraham and Isaac uh, at his sacrifice there. There are so many twists and ironies here that uh, it's, it's amazing to me. And it also tells me that the visit of the Magi recorded for us in Matthew chapter 1, uh, Matthew 2, excuse me, must not have happened yet in these first 40 days because otherwise Mary and Joseph would have been rich because of the gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And they would certainly not have withheld these treasures from God. They would have been able to easily afford to buy a lamb. And so that must have come at some later day. Now, um, when I'm making these kind of chronological scriptural connections, I want to make sure I'm on the right foot. Is is that a fair assumption, Pastor? I, th- I think it's a possibility. There's, there's more things that we'd have to to weigh and decide and decipher to try and figure all that out because we also have a trip down into Egypt, which at the same time could have taken the, those funds and used them to provide housing and, and food and things like that during that trip where they're avoiding the uh, slaughter of the innocents. So we have all these events that we know happened during the childhood of Christ. Luke records many of them for us, Matthew, some others. Uh, and all we know is that they all did happen and getting all the order right, there's several possibilities for us to fit them together. I think you're probably right in the way you say it. Um, can I be 100% sure from reading all the different parts of scripture and uh, that, you know, we just have to do our best in that regard. Okay. The uh, the rest of the text here uh, talks about this uh, gentleman named Simeon. Uh, the Holy Spirit had revealed to him that he would not see uh, his own personal death before he saw the Lord's Christ. He's there. He witnesses Jesus. And then he says, for my eyes have seen your salvation. How did Simeon's eyes see God's salvation? Well, uh they see Jesus, who's the one who's going to die on the cross. Is it and, just that simple? Yeah, I'd say it's just that simple. And that's pretty amazing, isn't it? It is. Um, and we sing those same words. We sing those same words in the divine service. I uh, hope and pray that your, uh, your worship uh, allows you to be in a liturgical church where you get to hear these great songs of the faith. This is one of the biggies, and uh, it is... It is God's continuous gift to us that we see the salvation of the Lord, Jesus Christ. And unlike Simeon, where we don't see the baby Jesus, we see him in bread and in wine, which is his body and blood given and shed for us for the forgiveness of sin. We need to take a short break. Proclaiming the one, majoring in the minors, the purification of Mary and the presentation of our Lord. When we come back, we're going to look at our Old Testament reading, 1 Samuel 1, 21 to 28. Don't change that dial. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska.
Welcome back to Proclaiming the One, majoring in the minors. Today we are looking at the minor festival of the purification of Mary and the presentation of our Lord. February 2nd is the day that the church has set aside for this particular remembrance and celebration. I'm Pastor Poppy. Along with me is Pastor Moline and Vicar Steele. We serve the saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Thanks for tuning in. In our first two segments, we looked at the Holy Gospel reading, Luke 2, 22 to 32. In this segment, we want to take a look at our Old Testament reading, 1 Samuel 1, 21 to 28. Vicar? The man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and to pay his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, As soon as the child is weaned, I will bring him, so that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever. Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord establish his word. So the woman remained and nursed her son until she weaned him. And when she had weaned him, she took him up with her, along with the three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour, and a skin of wine, and she brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. And the child was young. Then they slaughtered the bull, and they brought the child to Eli. And she said, Oh, my Lord, as long as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who is standing here in your presence praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord there. Okay, 1 Samuel 1, 21 to 28, the Old Testament reading, selected for the purification of Mary and the presentation of our Lord. We see that uh, this text has a special connection to the presentation aspect of our day, the presentation of our Lord, but it also has to do with uh, with uh, the purification of Mary in that the sacrifice that would uh, normally be offered, she stayed home, she weaned the child. Uh, Pastor, what can you tell us to, uh, to get us up to date with regard to what has gone on in 1 Samuel chapter 1 before we get to verse 21. Yeah, uh, it's kind of a common story, I guess, that God is continually trying to teach us in the pages of the Old Testament. Uh, In this sense, um, there is a man and a woman who get married, and uh, they are unable to have a child, and the woman then prays to God. Uh, That's what she was making reference to even as we read the text. She prays to God that she might have a child uh, by his grace and at his mercy, and uh, after the prayers are prayed, the Lord hears them and asks Answers and responds by giving the the couple a child, and so in that sense, it reflects the story of Abraham and Sarah. It reflects um, the story of you know uh, John the Baptist's birth. It reflects the story of Jesus' birth. Uh, all sorts. Jacob and Rachel. Jacob and Rachel, um, and uh, I think there's probably more of them that we just aren't mentioning here. Those people, all the the times that happen, God is teaching us what to look for at the birth of Jesus. It, uh, it would be easy to uh, go down the path of infertility and uh, the, uh, the, 
the distress that is placed on a husband and a wife, especially on the wife, with regard to infertility and one of the, the terrible consequences of sin in our world. But it is, uh, it is also teaching us that life is a gift from God. And I think, Pastor, this is something that we take for granted all too much uh, with, with our science and the science of birth control and all these kind of things. We like to think that we pick and choose when life begins, and then that carries over to when life should end. If we get to pick and choose when life uh, begins, we should get to do so on the other end, too. Why is that a dangerous trap for a Christian to fall into? Um, the, the danger is, is that we think we're in control of it and we're really not. It is a gift from God and he is in complete authority of it. And, uh, uh, he gives life when he sees fit and he also takes life when he sees fit and blessed be the name of the Lord as he does so. Um, and if we think we can control that or adjust it or even bring lives to an end, uh, or, uh, stop them from being born. In a sense, we're playing the role of God, which means we've replaced him and tried to come up with our own God in his place. Well said. Well said. Pastor, we have Hannah in her distress. She prays for a son. God grants her prayer, and uh, the, the child is born. And her husband, uh, Elkanah, um, goes up for the yearly sacrifice and to pay his vow. What is he doing here with the yearly sacrifice and to pay his vow? Is this anything in connection with regard to the birth of the son, or is this just the normal worship practice of the children of Israel at this time? Well, uh, the yearly vow and the yearly sacrifice makes reference to uh, actually one of three feasts where all the people of Israel were required by the law to go to Jerusalem and make a particular uh, sacrifice uh, in Jerusalem. And so we have um, the Feast of the Passover, we have the Feast of Pentecost, uh, and we have the uh, Feast of Booths. Uh, and these three feasts, the people are required to go to Jerusalem, and it's one of those feasts, and my guess is from the way that it's worded that it's probably the Feast of Pentecost when they're bringing their first fruits to the Lord, um, and that kind of gives you a time frame of when this is happening. And um, it, it'd be unusual for Hannah not to go. Um, she should participate, and yet she is being a mother here and taking care of her brand new baby. Uh, I think it's interesting to say she'll keep the baby until it's weaned, and then she'll go. Uh, that kind of gives you an idea of how long, approximately a year, maybe a year and a half, that she's going to be mom to this baby before she lends him to the Lord. And so... Uh She's being a mom. She's fulfilling her vocation here. She also knows that she's dedicating this uh, this boy baby to the Lord and uh, having as much time with him as she possibly can. I don't know how much that plays into it here, but uh, we've been well, dancing. And oh, go ahead, Pastor. Well, yeah, I, I, I mean, I think that's definitely it. She's she's going to be a mom to this baby for the amount of time that it takes to wean the child. That's the time the baby's absolutely. Uh, dependent upon the mother at the same time and i think this flows right with the word towards the end where she lends him to the lord she is confessing her faith in the resurrection of the dead when she says i'm lending him to the lord because as long as he's alive he's going to serve the lord after that 
then we get to have a relationship again in the resurrection is, is kind of an implied statement there from what she says. I like that. That is very, very good. So she, uh, so she weans the boy baby, and can we quit dancing around, Pastor? What's this boy baby's name? Samuel. Samuel. So uh, this is a very, very common Sunday school story. We have uh, three or four or five major events that are happening uh, in and around the life of Samuel. So we got the boy baby Samuel here. After she had weaned him, she kept her word. She didn't change her mind and say, oh, no, I want to keep my baby boy. Uh, She took him up with her along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour, a skin of wine, and she brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. This seems like a pretty major, pretty significant offering, Pastor, uh, in stark contrast to what we what we heard earlier with regard to the offering of Mary and Joseph, with uh, who were very poor, with the turtle doves and pigeons. And so what can we make of not only the offering, but also the size of the offering? Yeah, it is a substantial offering. You have about a bushel of grain. That's what an ephah is approximately. And you have a bull, uh, a three-year-old bull, in fact. And, um, you know, today we have cattle everywhere, especially here in Nebraska. It's not a big deal because we have things called refrigerators. In the ancient world, you didn't mainly eat cattle. You ate goats and sheep because that's a more manageable amount of meat to eat. Um, And having a bull... Uh, is an expensive thing because you don't get a lot of output for what you put into the bull. You can use them to plow and things like that, but uh, you don't eat them. You don't do things like that. So it is, it's like you can imagine giving a combine and a, um, you know, a bushel of grain can probably feed a person for a couple months, if not half a year uh, in the ancient world. And so that gives you an idea of how much she's giving to the Lord in praise and thanksgiving. And I think the name that she gives her baby tells why she's doing this. Uh, Samuel means the Lord hears. And uh, that's exactly what she says. The Lord has heard my prayer to have a child and blessed me thusly. And so now I am praising and giving thanks to the God in joyful response. It would seem to me that a three-year-old bull would be in the prime of life for breeding lots of baby bulls. And was this a thing back in those days, too, that you you would save a bull back and not eat it for the purposes of breeding more uh, cattle? Is that is that what we're talking about here, or is that too much of a modern-day concept? Well, I mean, um, you, you didn't eat beef pretty much at all back then because, again— um, you know, a cow weighs 2,000 pounds and you don't have a refrigerator. And so you, you don't eat your, your beef. You use them for plowing like oxen and, and pulling carts and things like that. Okay. Um, so, again, when you have a bull uh, that's born and you want it to plow or pull a cart, you usually uh, – how do I say it on the radio? Debullify it. Uh, you make uh, Rocky Mountain oysters. Um, is that the right way to say it here, Pastor Poppy? I think so. You neuter it. You neuter it. There, that's a good way. Um, so that you still have the bulk and the muscle and the ability to pull, but you aren't um, quite as crazy. And so to have a bull uh, at that point indicates that it is something maybe a little more. Okay, so after all, having said all of that, in uh, verse 25 of 1 Samuel 1, they slaughtered the bull. 
and they brought the child to Eli. So they slaughtered the bull. They couldn't eat it all. Why would they slaughter this very, very expensive, worthy, worthwhile bull? What, were, what was the purpose? Well, uh, we, we see that in the scriptures as well. Um, I, I think in Deuteronomy it talks about it, and I think also in uh, the book of Numbers it talks about it. The sacrifices that are given at the temple in praise and thanksgiving to God, and that's exactly what this is happening here. It's not a part of the daily sacrifices or the feast sacrifices, but it is a sacrifice of thanksgiving to God for providing the answer, and the bull then is the sacrifice. And it is not considered a waste. This is a thank offering, a praise offering for God hearing the prayers of the distraught Hannah, answering the prayers and in joy and in thanksgiving, Hannah gives her best. And, uh, you know, obviously Elkanah had to uh, um, acquiesce with regard to this particular sacrifice as well. So uh, we got about 30 seconds left, Pastor. What can we glean then with regard to offerings and stewardship today? Well, um, the sacrifices and gifts that are given are always first fruits, and they're given out of response and joyful faith. Uh, and I think the same thing is true here as Hannah gives as well. Amen, amen, amen. All right, we need to take a short break. This is Proclaiming the One, Majoring in the Minors, Purification of Mary and the Presentation of Our Lord. We'll be right back. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to Proclaiming the One, Majoring in the Minors. Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Steele, we serve the saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Please join us for worship. We gather each Sunday uh, at 8 and 1030 with Sunday School for All Ages in between. Wednesday evenings year-round at 630. Our Wednesday evening service is when we have an opportunity uh, quite often to uh, focus and celebrate these minor festivals. Today we are parking the car at the Purification of Mary and the Presentation of Our Lord, celebrated in the church since the late 4th century, and the day that the church has selected for this particular celebration is the 2nd of February. Uh, in our first two segments, we looked at the Gospel reading, Luke 2, 22-32. In our third segment, we looked at the Old Testament reading, great, great account with uh, Samuel and Hannah and Eli and offering a bull and all that kind of stuff. God, Your, your favorite hymn's based off Samuel too, right? Uh, Here I am, Lord. Yeah, there you go. That's my favorite. Um, we haven't made that yet on the uh, uh, At Home in Your Hymnal. Uh, You'll probably give it an 8.3. Wolf meter, Wolf Mueller meter, whatever. Uh, anyway, we looked at 1 Samuel 1, 21 to 28 in our third segment. And now as we uh, finish our examination of this particular day in the church year, the epistle reading, Hebrews 2, 14 to 18. Vicar? 
Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Okay, Hebrews two fourteen to 18, a great text. Um, Pastor, there's a lot of he, he, he himself, he. Um, just to make this absolutely clear, who is the he that the author of the Hebrew book to the Hebrews is talking about? Jesus. Jesus. Okay. And uh, apparently, when we get into uh, this part of the book of Hebrews, apparently there was a uh, sect, S-E-C-T, or a false church that had emerged that was worshiping not God, but was worshiping angels. And maybe they were worshiping God also, but they were worshiping angels as God or as gods. And so and you, you could kind of see it flow into some of the other heresies that came about where perhaps there is even a confusion. Was Jesus God or was Jesus just a messenger from God? And and that confusion could be there too. Yeah, or an angel who took on flesh and blood, or you know, we got all this kind of confusion, and some of that still continues today. But here in the second chapter of the book of Hebrews, it is absolutely clear who Jesus is and who Jesus came to save. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things. What are we saying there, Pastor? Because I have flesh and blood, then Jesus, my Savior, had to have flesh and blood? Is that what God is teaching us? That sure sounds exactly like what uh, God is teaching, and even we have sections in the small catechism explanation that kind of talk about this because it's what Scripture teaches. It's what Scripture teaches, and this is why our Savior, the Messiah, the Christ, had to be true and fully a human being because he did not come to save angels. He's not an angel. He came to save people, so he is a people. Uh, the incarnation of our Lord, and we cannot emphasize that enough. Maybe that's one of the reasons why this text so often comes up during the season of Epiphany, where we are talking about how God reveals himself as flesh and blood Savior in Jesus Christ. Now, uh, it continues on that he himself wife likewise partook of these things, that through death... He might destroy the one who has power of death, that is, the devil. So am I to understand this, that Jesus Christ, the uh, Jesus the Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, God in the flesh, our Savior, our Messiah, took on flesh and blood for the expressed purpose that he would die? Is that what's being taught here? That's, that's exactly what um, uh, the author to the Hebrews, I think it's Paul, uh, is saying here uh, in his sermon. And I think um, he, he even would say not just to suffer death, but also to be under all the law, which relates then to 
the Old Testament lesson and the Gospel lesson where Jesus is brought to the temple and presented as the firstborn, and also his uh, mother is purified uh, from uh, the birth process. And so all that stuff that has to be done for every other person is also, therefore, done for Jesus. And uh, in that way, he actively and passively fulfills all the law in our place. That's pretty amazing, Pastor. That's uh, th- that gets right to the heart of the matter, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean that's that's why I think uh, you know Paul is writing these words in his sermon that is recorded for us as the Book of Hebrews, so that we understand that that Jesus is the fulfillment of all the law, and it is as Christ Himself says in His own words, He did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it, and that's what He's doing here. Okay, now at the risk of stepping on a landmine. Uh, it go in uh, verse 15 and deliver those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Oh, step on it. <clears throat> um, I have to because, uh, you know, I, th- I think we can say that in one respect, there's nothing new. People are afraid to die. People have always been afraid to die, whether it be uh, some natural disaster, whether it be heart disease, whether it be cancer. You know, back in the olden days, you had to, you had to be careful that you didn't say the C word out loud. You couldn't say cancer. Um, you know, and, and so people are afraid to die, okay? Uh, when people get old, you don't want to talk to them about dying because old people die. You know, this is a universal condition, but... Probably uh, the the uh, coronavirus pandemic has brought this to a head more than anything else, certainly that I've ever witnessed in my 62 years of life. The fear of death is slavery. That's what God is teaching us here in Hebrews chapter 2. In what way, Pastor, is the fear of death slavery? Well, uh, I'd say there's really two th- two things that need to be emphasized, and, and the first one is that um, the thing that causes death is sin, and that's in all cases, right? I know we could get more specific. Sin that manifests itself in cancer, sin that manifests itself in heart disease, sin that manifests itself in, um, you know, coronavirus. So that's the first thing, you know, we're definitely slaves to sin, and as a result, we're going to die. But the fear of death then also drives our actions throughout all of our lives so that we we attempt to avoid the reality of death um, so that we, we I, I don't know how to say it um, in a, a caring way here, I'm trying real hard, we, we don't want to go walk on the edge of a mountain because we're afraid we might fall down to our death. We wash our hands every time we touch something because we're afraid we might, uh, you know, get a sickness and die. We go to the doctor and we take 25 pills per day so that our heart works the right way and maybe then we won't die quite as soon. We, we're just driven by a huge amount of things that go on in our lives to try and avoid death. Even when a person does die, we send them to a person who paints a fake face on the front of them so they don't look quite as dead when they're in the casket. And we situate them uh, in such a way that they, they look better in the casket than they often did in the hospital when they were dying. Uh, and so we try to hide death 
from our faces. We, we try to avoid it. We try to uh, keep it out of our mind. And yet, in so doing, we actually are driven for a huge amount of what we do in our life by death itself. The fear of death can be paralyzing on a number of levels. And in that respect, like a slavery. So, God's word here, Hebrews chapter 2, teaches us that Jesus, God in the flesh, has come to destroy death. And in so doing, has set us free. No longer do we need to be slaves to the fear of death. What does that mean for me as a Christian? Does that mean that I shouldn't wash my hands? Does that mean that I shouldn't go to the doctor? Does that mean that I, uh, you know, shouldn't take, you know, uh, shouldn't wear a seatbelt? You know, just the common safety precautions. Where do we draw the line, Pastor, with regard to uh, common sense and being good stewards of our body and our neighbors' bodies? and being paralyzed by the fear of death. Well, I think we we want to act in such a way that we're not driven by fear, but rather out of love uh, and, and care and compassion. Uh, the same, and I'm not talking about the love and compassion that comes from us, but rather the love and compassion that comes from Christ. So we don't want to put God to the test and, uh, you know, uh, slit our wrists and see if we can make it to the hospital in time. But rather, we want to know that God has given us our lives and to trust that he'll take care of them and to uh, act in such a way that, uh, you know, we're not purposely bringing about our deaths, but if it happens, we're content that we'll be saved through our Lord Jesus Christ and his resurrection. And And, and I guess to summarize it, the simplest way would be to live a Christian life of faith, and that means we have love of God and his gifts and appreciation for them, and also care for our neighbors in a a certain sense as well, and so that's what we need to do. Pastor, the very last line of our verse, or last verse of our text, verse 18, for because he himself has suffered when tempted— He is able to help those who are being tempted. We are tempted to live in this slavery of fear each and every day. And especially now when, you know, you don't know who to believe, trust the science, different mandates, all this kind of stuff that is out there. How does the fact that Jesus suffered when tempted help me now when I am tempted? Well, we're able to look to Jesus to be the one who has fulfilled everything for us. And so I, mean, I don't mean we're not going to be tempted or that we won't be, uh, everything will be just hunky-dory and rainbows and unicorns here in our life, but we keep our eyes on Jesus, or maybe I could say they're kept on Jesus by the Word, so that as we face the challenges and difficulties and temptations in our life, we also have the way through and out of them, which is the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ uh, following his death on the cross. And so when we put things in that perspective, suddenly things are a lot clearer and things are a lot simpler, and uh, we don't really need to worry about the things of this world that seem to be flying in the face of life, which is um, 
you know, that's our hope. Christ is living, and so we too will in the end. Death isn't our master. Christ takes away our worry, our anxiety, and our fear so that we can live that full life that he promises in John chapter 10. Vicar, sadly, we're out of time. We will bring uh, this to a close, praying the collect of the day for the purification of Mary and presentation of our Lord. Let us pray. Almighty and ever-living God, as your only begotten Son was this day presented in the temple in the substance of our flesh, grant that we may be presented to you with pure and clean hearts. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. For Pastor Moline and Vicar Steele, I'm Pastor Poppy. Thanks for tuning in to Proclaiming the One Majoring in the Minors. We'll see you again next time.